I speak tonight for the dignity of man and the destiny of the Am I on? Am I hot? When you're hot, you're hot. When you're not, you're not. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, children of all persuasions. Um, if you're a longtime listener, then you know what you're listening to. For those of you that are new to the crew, let me welcome you to this American Podcast Comedy Edition on ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com. My name is Tony Visick. Your name is whatever you want it to be. You could choose your own destiny here in the land of milk and honey. Um, we come to you almost every Friday, uh, sometime late morning from uh, the great state of Arizona, where we currently reside with this podcast, which is running three years, five years. I'm losing track because we were on ra- regular radio for a while, and then we switched over to uh, a podcast. To be, frank, to be frank with you, with the state of uh, terrestrial radio, we have more listeners here. Great show lined up for you this morning. Any minute now, we're going to be getting a phone call from none other than um, screenwriter, author, television producer, and television writer Jeff Ebagov. He is the um, author of Time Travel for Love and Profit and also Zombies versus Aliens versus Vampires versus Dinosaurs. Do you know how long it took me to be able to get that name right and be able to say it off the top of my head? Forever. But I got it, and they're both great books. They're fun books. If you enjoy uh, uh, a mystery novel, a detective novel, and science fiction combined, these are the books for you. Or if you just want a damn good read. Uh, if you think of Isaac Asimov, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and Dashiell Hammett, you've got Jeff Abagov and his two great novels. We're going to talk about uh, his TV career, what you need to know to become a better writer, whether it's comedy Jokes, straight up stand up, television, films, books. We're going to be talking about that today. Before we talk about that, I want to tell you why I sound so chipper. And one of the reasons I sound so chipper is because yesterday I had, um, I had um, a procedure. That already sounds creepy. I'm going to have a procedure. Um, I had epidurals done on my back. A number of years ago, I had an uh, incredible thing done called radio ablation, which basically took me off a cane. How bad was my back hurting a few years ago? I traded in my sedan for an SUV because they were, wasn't a sedan, it was a Porsche. I had a Porsche. I got rid of my Porsche, which I had no business driving anyway. Far more car than driver. Uh, I got rid of that and got an SUV because they were easier to get in and out of. But I had a procedure called radio ablation which was life-changing for me. The problem is radio ablation wears off. So now I'm having it done again. So yesterday, yesterday when I was young, uh, yesterday I went in and had uh, injections done along my spine because they want to see if they work and they told me to go about my normal activity. Well, me being me, I did more than that. Since I had little pain and full range of movement for the first time in a while, I went at it. And I ended up on the roof with a chainsaw. And I went at that tree. Me and that tree went at it, buddy. (laughs) And I won. Uh, I did that. I was climbing out on roofs. uh, uh, Damn near running while I was walking the dog. 
sit-ups, push-ups. Uh, and today I feel better, but I feel half as good as I did yesterday. And what I know is by Saturday, this will have all worn off. And I'll probably be in worse pain than I was because I overdid it on pain-free day. And isn't that's the problem with pain medication, isn't it? First off, this isn't pain medication. This is just a block. But that's a problem with the absence of pain because pain sometimes let us, lets us know something's wrong. And then when it's blocked, we uh, uh, go back to the behavior that caused the wrong thing to happen. All right, you know what? Fuck a bunch of that stuff. <laughs> anyway, I'm in a pretty good mood this morning. Uh, and I'm also in a pretty good mood because we have a great weekend coming up for you, for us, for all of us. Uh, starting tonight, Tempe Center for the Arts. Uh, if you haven't been there, uh, you hear me talk about it a lot. And I have been there uh, teaching workshops and promoting shows since... 2012 uh and it's been um it's been a great ride and we've signed a contract to continue on and we're going to be bringing more stuff to you at the tempe center for the arts and i want to urge anyone listening if you're um out of state you're not from phoenix um give us a call write us a letter send us a facebook message uh send us an email no one's going to write us a letter and let us know that um you're interested in maybe checking out our workshops, checking us out, uh, and we'll make a and we'll let you know about a schedule and stuff, and maybe you can make some sort of a trip here. You might like that. All right. So the big question is, am I supposed to call Jeff, or is Jeff supposed to call me? You know what? We'll call Jeff. That's what I'm going to do right now. You get to hear some of the magic that goes on behind the scenes. First off, we'll be able to hear if it's ringing properly. There we go. One ringy dingy. Two ringy dingies. Hello? Hey, am I supposed to call you? Uh, you're live already. So whatever faux pas happen, happen. Am I supposed to call you on this phone or on the other phone? This one. This the one. The one you've been calling for since we've been doing this. But you have a home yes. phone. This is my home phone. I don't have it. No, it's not. That's not what it says on yes, my. Yes, it is. It's not what it says on my phone. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> it's on my home phone. That's you know what? That's the insanity of a, like, a, like if I was a dictator, and I was able to say you know when I called you up, and I go, "This isn't your home phone." You go, "Yes, it is." I go, "It's not what I say on my phone." It will not be. Yeah, if if, if, if you were a dictator, uh, it wouldn't have even gone that far. Yeah. If you were like a Stalin, and it says, that's not what it says on my phone, I said, oh, I'm sorry, you're right, it is my cell phone. Did you see, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just so you know, we want you in on the action. Uh, we want you the entire play-by-play. -play. We are speaking with none other than our good friend, and I think now I can officially say, and uh, by total choice and happy about it, our most frequent guest, Jeff Abagov. A uh, novelist who has written two great books, which are available on Kindle. I'm plugging you right now. Uh, you're not good at plugging yourself, you know, and a, a lot of creative people aren't. So I'm going to do it for you. Uh, time travel for love and profit and z zombies versus aliens versus vampires versus dinosaurs. And here's what I uh, here's what I compared the books to on the um, as I was talking about bringing you on. Uh, because they're mystery novels, in a sense, and they're science fiction novels. Would you agree with that? I don't know if I'd say mystery. I mean, Detective. there's mystery to them, but there's mystery to all fiction. 
but certainly science fiction. Yeah. Um, the first one, Zombies versus Aliens versus Vampires versus Dinosaurs, it, I'd say is science fiction and action. And um, Time Travel for Love and Profit, I'd say is time, science fiction, action, and romance. All right. Well, that, cause not action. Sorry, adventure, adventure. Okay. Then the and romance. Then the uh, incredible uh, compliment I gave you doesn't really stand, but in a sense it does, because um, um, I said that your books. I said, what kind of books are they? I go, if you like science fiction and you like mystery, because there's mystery, there's a story going on. Uh, I said it's close to if you read Isaac Asimov. Am I saying his name right? Asimov. Asimov and Dashiell Hammett combined. Wow. That's I, I I see the Asimov. I never thought of Dashiell Hammett. Either way, thank you. You know what I think? Uh, when I was reading um, um, Time Travel for Love and Profit, uh, what it was was the, the narrative reminded me, and, and not that it was derivative of, but reminded me of um, it reminded me of uh, uh, Hammett's uh, narrative in uh, Maltese Falcon, the way the way the character talked to himself, etc. Oh, okay. It is mine because that's what you're doing. Thank you. Anyway, all right. Thank you. Okay, so, and, and so, folks, here's what you should do. Okay, one of us is right and one of us is wrong, and oftentimes the creator is not a great judge of their own work because oftentimes uh, Picasso would be done and go, I just can't seem to get the eyes straight. Um, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I cracked myself up. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not know how, what you were like? How like the joke you were making? As I was saying, the it, eyes, like if you said the eyes correct or the eyes right, it wouldn't have been that funny. Yeah, the eyes straight coming yeah. from Picasso. <laughs> yeah. it, as I was saying it, I realized that it was good, but it wasn't like this morning. I got up and go, I got this joke. Um, yeah, but um, but now, damn it! I hope I. I should, I should, you should write that one down, dude. It's funny. Um, <laughs> I am going to write it down. Um, I want people to read your novels and then let us know if I'm correct or if Jeff's correct. Either way is a good thing, but I would like to get their yeah, thoughts. Absolutely. And the thing is, I will say that, you know, it's one of the cool things. I mean, you know, I'm comparing books to movies, which people have done forever. One of the cool things about books is it's in the reader's head. Yes. Like, when you see a movie, you see who the director cast. You kn everyone knows what the character looks like, and to everyone, they look the same way. Yes. Um, if there had never been a movie, The Godfather, your Vito Corleone might be, look very different than my Vito Corleone. Now we know he looks like Brando. Yes, young and old. Well, no, no, he looks like Brando yeah. or De Niro. Right, he, he, right, right. Um, but, um, so yeah, so absolutely. If, if you think if it felt like a mystery to you, it was. You know, it must have been, um, it must have been a tough moment for De Niro when he was doing Godfather 2, and he got to a point, and he goes, all right, he goes, what, I, I got to put cotton in my mouth because he put cotton in his mouth? And he goes, yeah, you know, you got to open your mouth. Because um, Brando created did the, he put, the jowliness. Did he put De Niro? Well, yeah. If you look at um, 
towards the later scenes of that portion of Godfather 2, you see how, he, how he's mm. a bit jowly. So they did something to make him jowly. Okay. A, a wee bit jowly, so we began to see the uh, facial right. change. And I, I would assume it was cotton. I would too. You know, so, but I just made him a tough time as an actor. Go, I, I like to make my own choices. I go, well, you can't. Open your mouth. We're shoving a wad in there. So, um, well, they often don't have choices over their makeup or wardrobe. Yeah, they don't. They don't. People don't understand the collaborative nature of uh, film, television, uh, even theater. Uh, I think in theater sometimes, depending, you have a little, a few more choices. Uh, I've directed theater, and the frightening thing about theater is that on opening night, as director, you have now ceded uh, all authority because there's no way to stop. And go, all right, we're going to go back and do that one again. Right. We're in film now. You directed a movie. Let's talk about that. We don't talk about that a lot. It's a it's a good movie, and you must have had Thank fun you. making it. Um, and it was uh, Mating Habits. I'm going to... The should, Mating Habits of the Earthbound Human. Mating Habits of the Earthbound Human. And you... Starring David Hydehurst, Carmen Electra, and Lucy Liu. You know, if I could think... Of, <laughs> you talk about... See, that's where you see a comic's mind play in. We're going to take David <laughs> Hyde Pierce, uh, who is one of the most pithy and uh, intellectual actors of the 90s. Uh, who played the brother on Frasier, and Carmen Electra, who, um, <laughs> she was, she was uh, Carmen and she was Electra. Um, <laughs> and you put those two in a movie together, that alone shows some creativity. Thank you. What was that? So what was the, what was the process by now? You thought, I want to make a good movie, so I'm going to get David Hyde Pierce and... Uh, I really like, I'd like to date. No, I, I mean, it was written before it was cast. I mean, that's another yes. common misconception. Most of the time, there are times when you're writing a movie for Tom Cruise. You're writing a movie for Brad Pitt. You're writing for certain. Most of the time, you're, ju you're writing the characters. Then when you're done, okay, who should play this? Yeah. Um, the, um, but, and, and sometimes also, when you, I just learned this recently, in Pulp Fiction, when um, 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 Tarantino was writing Pulp Fiction, and uh, Jules and Vincent characters, Sam Jackson and John Travolta, were actually written for Michael Madsen and Larry Fishburne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so even when you write for a certain character, doesn't mean... Uh, sorry, when you write for a certain actor, doesn't mean you'll get that actor. That's very interesting. Just, just let me say this. It's very interesting that it was written for Lawrence Fishburne and Michael Madsen. Oftentimes, and tell me if this is true or not, when a screenwriter writes, uh, creates a film, they have a major star in mind. Like at one time in the 70s, I heard every screenplay was written with Jack Nicholson. So, okay, so <laughs> I, could, I could imagine that. And then, of course, Nicholson's not available, and then it winds back. And I, I always enjoy, I like reading the, the articles about great films with great performances. And they go, he wasn't his the first choice. As a matter of fact, he was fifth, you know? And generally, it's going from top and then going backwards. But in this case, right. Michael Madsen being a very good actor, but at the time, um, and still not, unfortunately, a... Uh, a household name. Instead, it got bumped up to Travolta. 
And I didn't get bumped up. Travolta was like kind of a joke at that point. He, yeah, he was like yeah. that, that, that superstar in the 70s, then kind of disappeared, then made a kind of semi-comeback as like the second banana in the Look Who's Talking movies, which was a Kirstie Alley movie, not a John Travolta movie. Yeah. And so he was like considered like overdone. That movie put him back on top. As it did with Bruce Willis. Oh, did it? Oh, I thought Bruce Willis was still he, he doing su- well. No, he suffered badly from, uh, there were a few movies that bombed, but Hudson Hawk was almost uh, on the level of, disa- of a disaster as um, uh, Heaven's Gate. So, um, yeah. It put, okay. It, it, yeah, and, and he was smart enough to go, both of them taking um, salary reductions. So, all right, you know what? Forget it. We're just going to race the last few minutes. I was wrong. That's... So, I mean, at the time, why did he then go with Travolta instead of Michael Madsen? Madsen wasn't available for some reason. Wow. And I'm sure Madsen's kicking himself. Yeah, because later on, then he went into his own sort of look who's talking when he made, like, whale movies. Yeah. Yeah. There's an actor, by the way, who, um, um, you know, lauded critically. Uh, People enjoyed watching him, and it's just just kind of... of, um, has kind of frittered away. Who? Michael Madsen. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, he was never like, you know, I mean, first time I recognize, like, think I saw him was in um, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Where he was great. And, um, but he was never really made it to that top leading man level. No. Well, you know, I want to get back to, because we're, we're getting a little far afield here. Okay. So you, you, you write your movie. Okay. Yeah. Did you have those two actors, David Hyde Pierce? I didn't have any. I didn't have anyone in mind. The, the, and I'll give you an example. The premise of the movie is, you know this, but for those out yeah. there who don't, um, it's um, you know those like nature films on the Discovery Channel or the yes. Nature Channel the, about the animals. Man, it's, the man who speaks like this. Yes. Go ahead. It's done as one of those, as if made by aliens. About uh, four aliens about humans. Humans are the animal. Okay. Now, I come from Canada. I did some work at the National Film Board, which makes those doc. I like, I grew up with those documentaries. Mm-hmm. On, on CBC, which is one of the two Canadian networks, during commercial breaks of shows, they would have like this 30 second commercial length thing called Hinterland Who's Who, which was like the beaver takes its wood to dud- like. Constant, like so, like those things were like ingrained in me. So I just said, wouldn't it be funny if it was about us? And starting with the premise, like when I would watch those things and go, like, how does the narrator know? The male salmon licks the eggs of the female salmon to protect <laughs> it from environmental hazard. And I'm going, how does he know? Maybe the egg, the, the salmon just gets off on it. <laughs> <laughs> So that was the premise of the movie. What if, like, they're applying all these biological reasons to what we just do because we're nuts? Uh (laughs) And to just a typical romance, boy meets girl. So when I was writing the narrator, which David flawlessly played, um, I had in my head the voice of um, the guy who did it for National Film Board. All right. 
So, no, I didn't have David or anyone in my head. And then just through, through casting, was he like your first choice when you started seeing actors? Or, I mean, is that something you want to talk about? Because you don't want to say, I know. Um, I don't really remember. It was talked about. Some names came up. Some were weird. Like, at one point, someone said Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and I'm going, really? See, that's what I mean. Because at the time, he was hot. Yeah, he was huge. So that's it. So we go, wait, how about... But, he, but he's like, no, he's... And I'm a fan of his. But he's not this. <laughs> Did you ever meet him? Um, no. Huge man. Um, the, uh, so like their names were discussed, and um, some were good ideas. I don't remember who. Some were good ideas. Some were crazy, but like clearly from a box office point of view, not a let's make a good movie point of view. Um, and I, I knew someone who was very close with David who said, hey, what about David? And that's a great idea. And he said, give me the script. And he gave David the script. David was interested. So I went to the studio and said, what about David Hyde Pierce? And they all went, that's a great idea. So at any point, <laughs> when they when they brought up Arnold Schwarzenegger to you for for the the lead, or you know, did you did you think that was a good idea? No, it was a terrible idea. <laughs> but I understood. But I understood it was a box office idea because yeah. it's like he's doing like basically the narrator is the lead of the movie, even though you never see him. Uh huh. So it would be like Arnold spent three days in a recording studio. Yeah. And he'll be the lead. They thought maybe we could get him to do this for what we could afford, because it was a low-budget movie. Uh-huh. You know, we'll cut him in. It won't be much of his time, da 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 So, and I get, yeah, it would have been, put it this way. Had he done it, my guess is it would have been a worse movie, yet way more successful. <laughs> was, was that your player moment? Do you know the exact moment in the movie Player I'm talking about? No, I there, saw the player, but not for a long time. There's a scene where Tim Robbins comes into a, like a hotel lobby that has a you know a, a bar and a place sit down outside, and Dean Stockwell playing an agent comes running up with his screenwriter director, uh, the British guy I forget his name was the lead in Adventures in Advertising, and goes and gets them talking, and uh, the British guy's going, and the film has no stars, no fucking stars, and Dean Stockwell leans in and goes, Bruce Willis. <laughs> you know, it's like that's, that's funny. And oddly enough, as you remember in the movie at the end, uh, Bruce, it's Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts. Yeah, and the whole movie has been turned into a, a regular action movie of the time. Right. Well, that was the thing in in adaptation. You've seen adaptation? Yeah, but it's been quite some time. But yeah. Um. Early on, so he's trying to adapt the book. This book. Um. And he's saying, okay, for one thing, I'm not going to do anything with, like, you know, secret identities or double identities. I'm not going to make this about drugs. And he has all these rules he sets out. And as the movie unfolds, every rule gets broken. (laughs) 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 And you don't even notice it until the end when he goes... Like, at the end, when the movie's done, you go, wait a minute, didn't he say he wouldn't do that? (laughs) <laughs> so what I'm what I'm gathering. The, the other thing is the other thing is because it's first person of what's his name Charles Kaufman. 
yeah. Charlie Kaufman, who's the, who wrote it, and it's about him. Nicholas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman trying to adapt this book. Yeah, and throughout the book, throughout the movie, he's going, "I'm fat. Like I got to lose weight. I got to lose weight. Like well, I'm so fat. Like, but you're looking. Nicholas Cage isn't fat. Like what is yeah. this? And he keeps like in this self-deprecatory. Then at the very end, when the movie gets green light, he goes. I hope they get someone not fat to play me in the movie. <laughs> and you go, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that's, that's an L.A. disease. He, he, everybody in L.A. thinks they need to lose weight. Uh, I'm not going to mention who. I was with a friend of mine a few weeks ago in L.A. And uh, anyway, we, you know, we were taking pictures. We were at a restaurant someplace. I go, hey, we got to remember this. And uh, this is a dude. And he said, he goes, oh, man, I look fat in that picture. And the guy weighs like 160 pounds. I'm like, okay, all right. As opposed to me, I'll get up to 220 and go, I look good. So um, <laughs> so what I'm gathering from this, and normally you are our second guest uh, today. Uh, you're our first, so we're, we're kind of on a little bit of a hard break. A couple things I'm gathering. I just want to make sure I got them right for our aspiring writers out there who listen to you. Um, you generally going to write a screenplay with actors in mind. Is that correct? Me personally? Yeah, or generally, yeah. Uh, you personally and then generally. I, I, gen I generally don't. Okay. Um, I think most do. It's probably a more commer commercially wise thing to do that. But I generally don't. And then the second thing is, and I think this is the, the hard part for a lot of people to understand, you have to be, if you're a television writer... Or television producer, or screenwriter, or director, you have to be massively adaptable because there may be people who you don't think uh, are as creative as you who have a certain amount of influence, and you're going to have to listen to them. Is that correct? Uh, yes and no. Assuming you're working with good people, because yeah. there are, um, despite all the many executive jokes and all that, there are good ones. Um, you know, good people come up with bad ideas, so you have to kind of learn to pick your battles. Like the Schwarzenegger one, uh, when that came up, I didn't say absolutely not, because I was pretty sure it wasn't going to happen anyway. Yeah. I just went to settle, like, do you really think he's right? Don't you think? And I raised, in a very polite, subtle way, my objections, knowing that if it would come to pass, I would fight it then. Yeah. So why fight something I'm not going to need to fight? Then there's things that, you know, is, does this make it worse or does it just make it different? And how much work is it? If it's a little bit work, just a little bit of work to make something different, don't fight that. Save, save your fight so you, when you fight it, it's meaningful. Pick and choose your battle. Because uh, if you're someone who just fights all the time, when you really say this was important, well, why would they? So if you really just pick your battles and say, okay, no, no, we can't do that. Come on, guys. And it's like, wow, Jeff feels really strongly about this. Okay. Hey, I've got, um, thank you for that. I've got one minute left. I want you to tell me. You told me one of the best showbiz jokes ever that kind of encapsulates what we've been talking about today about Sheldon Leonard, uh, the uh, television producer who created oh, yeah. Island. Yeah, tell, tell, that, tell that story joke to, to our listeners. Okay, this is, for, oh, just for the record, it's not my joke. I don't remember 
where I heard it, but just okay. prefaces. Um, so he was, Sheldon Leonard was like one of those big, like, Hollywood TV producers of the 50s and 60s and super rich and one of these like old at this point old New York cigar smoking Jewish mockers um, and he's pitching a show and he's holding his cigar and it's called Circus 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 it's about the circus it's about the parents who bring their little kitties to the circus. It's about the little kitties at the cir- who go to the circus. It's about the clowns at the circus. It's about the acrobats who fly on the trapeze. It's about the guy who cleans the elephant shit at the circus. And the president of the network says, I hate circuses. And he says, doesn't have to be a circus. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it is hilarious. <laughs> Listen, man, I got to go. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Uh, enjoy uh, sunny Southern California. Um, hopefully I will see you when I'm back there in March. Ladies and gentlemen, novelist, screenwriter, director, television producer, and television writer Jeff Ebagov has just been on the show. Thank you very much, Jeff. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Well, that was cool. That was cool. Um, we, all right. My name's Tony Vizic. Hey, I hope to see you tonight, Friday night, at uh, Tempe Center for the Arts with Class Clowns, the longest running comedy showcase in the greater Phoenix area, probably in Arizona. Maybe, um, I don't know, we might be in the country now because it's 20 going on 20 years running, same show. Uh, different comics, same show. Tonight, special guests, uh, one of the best comics in the country, Jonathan Gregory. Worth the price to see him alone. Special guest Bob Rocky. I'll be there. We're going to have lots of fun. Come on down. Sunday night, if you're anywhere down near the border, going to Icon's Grill. Okay, and see Mary Upchurch, Danielle Williams, and Carrie Gallagher. And, of course, Monday, free intro to stand-up comedy class at the Tempe Center for the Arts. For my producer, who happens to be my wife, Shirley Lovisic, I want to thank all of you listening. I'll be talking to you next week on This American Podcast on ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com. <laughs>